This episode contains graphic content in nature and may be triggering to some. Please be advised. Country music has a special fixation on singing songs dealing with murder. And I'm not sure if it's just the grit or the old Western way, but there's something so intriguing about the darkness of those songs that captivates its audience. Those songs are about fictitious murders, of course, but we are going to introduce you to the real, awful, true story of Spade Cooley. Spade was one heartless son of a bitch, and by the way that pleasekillme.com explains Spade Cooley, said it best. Spade Cooley was a virtuoso fiddler and Roy Rogers movie stand-in, who had six consecutive top ten hits and was considered Hollywood's king of Western swing. He was also a mean, jealous, paranoid, violent, alcoholic man who brutally murdered his wife in front of their daughter. We are going to take you on this incredibly dark journey in detail. You've been warned. Hey, hey. How you doing, Reba? I'm doing pretty good, doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited to be back. I can't believe we're on season two. I know. I don't know who y'all got to sing your theme song, but she's all right. <laughs> she is all right. I think her name's Whitney Merritt. Hey. I'm so glad. So, I'm so glad. I know. It was, it was fun hearing my own little voice there. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I have a good, have to give a shout out to Chumsky. Uh, if you listen to season one, um, our theme song was done by Chumsky, who, um, his real name, Chumsky's not his real name. That's his stage Monica. Mm-hmm. His real name is Sam Mays. And we did show choir in high school together. <laughs> I love but that. I, yes, I have to brag on him. I thought he, like, he was the most musical genius man there ever was. Mm-hmm. Um, he used to sit on the piano and play Beatles songs all day, every day. Yeah, he was. And then Ben Folds, um, he did a lot of his. Oh, anyway. Ben Folds. Yeah. Um, he killed it at every talent show. Anywho, so when we needed a theme song, I reached out to him and he did it. Did an amazing job. Um, but he is now on tour with a Onsboro native. Onsboro is where I'm from. If you haven't heard five million times, I'm obsessed with my hometown. But uh, Colt Graves is a country singer and he's worked with Timbaland. Timberland. Wow. I can't say that name. Yeah, Timberland. Yeah, so he's working with him. He has a new single out called um, Cowboy Capone. Mm. Um, it's really fun. Like, it's like, it's it's kind of got this vibe to it. It's like gangster, but country. Love it. Um, so, yeah, Sam is on tour with him playing, and he's, yeah, it's been it's been a journey. I've seen, you know, you know when you, you know people and you see them, like, branch out in their yes. career? And it's yes. just so fun. So. Yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to both of them because they're both Owensboro natives and we're rooting for you. Yes, congrats, Chomsky. Yes. So today we have a, as we've already mentioned in our, um, what is that thing called? Warning? Yeah, like a little cold open. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. warning. Disclaimer. Um, This episode is very dark. Um. Yeah, it's very different from our usual episodes. We're just going to yes. go ahead and say that. So, if you are, <laughs> if you are not, um, if you've never listened to us before, this is very different. Like she said, um, we're usually goofing. 
we're going to goof a little bit in this, but this is a lot. There's going to get a section that you're going to be like, what the heck? Um, Mm -hmm. But before we get into that, this is our first episode back. So let's give, let's go into like some things that we've been going on in our lives. Yes. We have been, um, basically we're superstars now, or we think we are. Um, (laughs) I would love to think so. (laughs) We've been jet setting, plane trains and automobiles. We have been in Nashville. We did a little photo shoot for season two. Um, we got to wear really big frilly dresses. Um, I had my hair teased to the gods and we got, what kind of car was that? It was a night, I think it was a 1957 Thunderbird. Mm-hmm. It was pink. Convertible. It was beautiful. Her oh name is Dolly Carton. Gosh. Dolly Carton. And, um. You can follow it on Instagram, the Dolly Carton. I think her, I'm trying to, um, shout out. Okay. So Katie Mack Photography was our photographer. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness gracious. If you go on our Instagram, which is at spilling the, or at spilling the tea underscore podcast, you can see our new photos and they're so gorge. Liz looks like a freaking movie star. You do too. What are you talking about? Yeah, but you know how I am. Um, But I'm saying like literally. (laughs) I'm beautiful. You you look like it took my breath away. Whitney, stop. No homo. No homo, but it took my breath away. (laughs) Don't get us canceled. (laughs) Definitely homo. Um. Yeah, we were living in our beautiful Barbie era, our Glenda era, and our beautiful pink bubble. We love it. Um, Barbie era will never go out of style, okay? Everyone's discovering it, but we've been living in it for quite some time, and we took full Mm -hmm. advantage of the trend. So we definitely love it. And uh, we're already ready. Like, we think we're models. We're already ready for our next photo shoot. We're coming up with new ideas. (laughs) Uh, yeah. But that weekend, we both were in Nashville. I recorded the theme song, so I was in the studio for a little bit. And then we did the photo shoot. And then we went down to Alabama, and we recorded it. We were just, like, in our business woman freaking mode. I, yeah. We have an LLC. Boss bitch <laughs> I era. Tell I have an LLC. <laughs> tell, tell them what it's called, because I think it's so cute. So our LLC is called Freckle Face Entertainment, because obviously we're both freckle faces. <laughs> We have no freckles at all. We have all the freckles. We do. Um, I love my freckles. That's another thing that's in trend right now, but we were born with it, so. Yeah, I used to get made fun of for my freckles, but now people have stamps that they use to stamp on freckles. They're using, like, the root touch-up thing. I'm like, y'all, you used to, like, bash me so hard in grade school. Now you want them so bad. Oh, how the tables have turned. But yeah, that was a very fun weekend. I officiated the wedding of two of my very best friends, Packy and Kayla. It was such a beautiful day. And then, yeah, just being a total boss. And I loved it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to try really hard not to cause trouble this season. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, some, oh. people, some people have been talking about this podcast, running it up the hill. And we're just going to try not to give them anything to run. So, running up that hill. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I... I don't know why you're so obsessed with me, but that's all right. <laughs> why are you so obsessed with me? Obsessed with um, me. Yeah, it's been getting back to us, um, but we're going to be good. 
Um, but we kind of love We're gonna it. We're going to try to be good. <laughs> yeah, I don't hate we it. Kinda, I mean, you can keep it, talking. It kind of makes, like, when Liz told me, it kind of made me want to, um, well, how do I put this? My heart was in my butthole for the first few <laughs> seconds, okay? And then I was like, wait, what would a superstar do when they hear that they're, like, there's all this drama around them? They would turn it into something good. And, you know... There's no such thing as bad press. Yes. No such thing. Press, 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 press. <laughs> Connie don't need more press. Like, basically. I didn't cheat on uh, nobody. I didn't kill nobody. So we good. All right? Right, right, We're right. good. We're good until we get a cease and desist. <laughs> and then, and then and we'll then... just move on to other subjects. <laughs> we'll just move on to other subjects. It's not, it's not a problem, baby. <laughs> No, I think we're good. Um, yeah. But yeah, we have to make we have to make jokes out of everything. So hashtag run that up the hill. That's right. That's our new Watch. that's our new saying this season. Run that up the hill. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So let's, let's get, get into, into this. Yes. So um, country music is full of. Mm, it's got full, okay. It's full of a lot of themes, but you know, people that are not really into country music, they say you talk about your dog, you talk about beer, <laughs> talk no, about your breakup, dog, dog, beer, truck, breakup, whiskey, you know, that kind of stuff. But murder is another one of the main topics in country music, and murder. I love a good murder song. Mm-hmm. I love a good martyr song, okay? And I think it's just fun to go into that kind of role play. Like, when you're thinking about it, you're thinking, you're like, what's the song? Um, I can't, I'm losing my mind. I can't think of it, but maybe it'll come to me in a minute. Anyway, we are going to talk about um, the appeal to country music songwriters, performers, and fans of murder ballads. And um, one of the topics is revenge, basically, for domestic abuse, uh, which is a common theme. And one of the most famous examples of this is Martina McBride's Independence Day. It recounts a woman burning down her own home to escape her abusive husband. Um, The music sounds so celebratory that it's been used by at least one high-profile politician (laughs) as an anthem. What? At a a campaign event, despite of all, and perhaps in ignorance of all, its meaning. I did not know that. Yeah, people ain't listening to the words. They're just hearing, it's Independence Day. Which, by the way, I'm not the singer. You are, but I'm here for it. I can't listen. Okay, off topic, as always. So, I used to go and do talent shows. And I didn't really care about my look. Huh? I said, why did you stop? Why did I stop doing talent shows? Yeah, just keep going. Oh, I aged out of talent shows. But anyway, so (laughs) (laughs) I'm an old fart. Oh, Um, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically in the entertainment industry, now that I'm almost 30, I'm basically in the ground dead. Mm. Um, But... Anywho, Correct. in these talent shows, there would always be a girl that would sing a Martina McBride song. And then there was always a Taylor Swift, like, curled blonde hair, sparkly dress, guitar. And how do I put this? I mean, I'm not trying to brag on myself, but, <laughs> the, like, the, 
<laughs> the trophy was given to the person that had the best looks. So, yeah. Oh. So you're yeah, the best singer. Was, I wouldn't say I wouldn't even say that. I would just say that whoever won was definitely not based on talent <laughs> all the time. Sometimes. Okay. okay. People people that are in if you live in small towns and you're in like county fair talent shows, you understand where I'm coming from. You you will cuz it it will always be the people who they make themselves look up like like somebody else. Mm. Yeah. Very political. Anyway, let's get Roger. back to the real story of okay. <laughs> I just really need to shut my mouth sometimes. Um <laughs> It's awful that we, we get our- a podcast then. <laughs> I know. Who gave us mics? My brother. <laughs> okay. So, well, he, he didn't give you yours. He gave mine. Um, so, anyway, yeah, politics are ignorant. Um, and then there's other songs that feature crimes of passion, including Miranda Lambert's Mama's Broken Heart, in which a woman burns down her ex's house. Um, and it's not because of abuse, but because of the rejection. And this song, um, you said this song. Did it help you through something? It sure did. It helped me get over my ex. Okay. I would blare this sucker and uh, I'd belt it off key. Fiery Vengeance. Yeah. It was beautiful. It's a great song. So speaking, this kind of comes. Okay. So this is coming full circle. I was talking about like local talent shows. So Miranda Lambert and Casey Musgraves kind of grew up in the same. I don't know if it's like the same sector of Texas. And they were like competition for each other mm-hmm. growing up. And I think I think Casey actually worked with Miranda's dad sometimes. I don't know if they started out as competition, but it ended up being that. So anyway, um, there's always been this little, I've heard about this tension between the two. But I heard the story that for Mama's Broken Heart, it was written by Shane, Ma- Shane McAnally, Brandy Clark, and Casey Musgraves. I'm pretty sure Shane was the guy involved in that. But anyway. Um, so Casey was invited to Blake and Miranda's wedding. And I heard that Miranda Lambert, like pretty much cornered her and said, that's my song. I'm going to sing it. And that's what happened. And Casey, Casey Musgraves is heard as the background on that song. That's a fun fact. I have a question though. I love if Miranda and Casey, um, are not that close. Why was Casey invited to Miranda and Blake's wedding? That is a good point. I don't know. Okay. See, maybe it's all maybe it's all bullcrap. I just I'm just sharing the tea that I heard. The tea doesn't have mm. to make sense. Well, kidding. maybe Blake invited her. <laughs> I don't mm, know. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Anyway, or maybe it was like yeah, maybe it was like an industry thing to be nice. Yeah, probably PR. Know. Right. Yeah. Because then it would be yeah. Miranda did not invite Casey Musgraves. <laughs> you or know? maybe it was a. A prime opportunity for her to corner her to, to corner get her. Oh, I <laughs> ulterior motive. Oh, um, so there is a song by Charlie Pride that came out in 1968 called "The Banks of the Ohio," in which a man kills his girlfriend for breaking up with him. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which it happened. That happens in real life. God bless. Mm-hmm. Um. Willie Nelson has an entire concept album about a killer called The Red-Headed Stranger. Because the story spans multiple songs, it is more nuanced than the one-off hits. The protagonist kills his wife and her lover, then flees from the police. He eventually comes to regret his actions. And while the story itself is outlandish, at one point, the stranger kills another woman for trying to grab his horse. (laughs) 
and Kiang. Um, there's mem- <laughs> <laughs> Did you say um, there's Yank? a mem- No. <laughs> oh. I said okay. <laughs> oh, he said yank yank. <laughs> no. All right, ignore me. Um, uh, where am I here? There's a memorable reflection. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's a memorable reflection, particularly <laughs> in hands on the wheel. Songwriter William Callery categorizes people as deceivers, believers, and old. In betweeners, mm-hmm. and nod to the gray areas of morality. One of our favorite examples of country music murder ballad is "The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia," which also boasts a more complex conclusion: good guys and gals blurring with the bad ones. It was written by Bobby Russell and recorded by his wife Vicki Lawrence, but we are most familiar with Reuben McIntyre's 1991 cover. A man discovers that his wife's been cheating on him, but when he goes to confront the couple, he finds them dead. The the cops arrest him for the murder, and he is executed for the crimes he didn't commit. The song comes complete with a blockbuster-worthy twist. The killer is the hangman's sister. Hmm. Wowzers. That was, like, the first time I heard that song and I could comprehend... (laughs) When I could comprehend what was going on, I was like, whoa... Um, so murder ballads, at least as they are reimagined in country music, often tap into a fantasy of independence, a world where vigilantes can dowel out justice and rarely face the firing squad, rugged individualism with a violent streak. But ultimately, I'd argue that the enduring appeal of murder ballad in country music is familiar to the enduring appeal of crime novels and documentaries. Yeah, I think that it goes along with like people's obsession with true crime. Like, we love hearing these little stories, the ins and outs, and the, you know, the twists and turns. So, I think that's why country music makes it up. make a great story. And I think when we listen to music a lot of time, you know, everybody that listens to, like, rap or, like, songs about, you know, back in the 90s when there was a lot of songs about, like, gangster life. I don't think everybody that listened to those were gangsters. They just wanted to put themselves like they were in those shoes, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so mysteries and thrillers start out with excitement, the volume being dialed up to 10. They provide an insight into character and what people will do in their worst circumstances. They reflect what we know about ourselves, but more importantly, what we don't want to know. We dug deep and found what we believe are country music's creepiest and most haunting songs about murder. 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 (laughs) <laughs> so, um, number one is Two Black Cadillacs by Carrie Underwood. It came out in 2013. Carrie is the queen of country music revenge songs. Um, although we feel that Miranda Lambert could definitely hold that title as well. And this one takes it one step further to murder. The song's video was filmed in Nashville, Tennessee, and it draws inspiration from Stephen King's novel, Christine, which tells the story of a revenge automobile. Apparently possessed by supernatural forces. I need to know. I hate that movie. Stephen King's a lot. It's a lot. He's Stephen a lot. King has a lot. <laughs> His mind is warped. No, no, I got to tell you this. Those are my. So somebody, a lady at work the other day, she emailed one of my coworkers and she said, "I'm a lot confused," and I just felt that on a personal level. <laughs> Can I make you a shirt that says that? I'm a lot yes. confused. <laughs> That should go in the Spill in the Tea merch. Yes. 
Um, cause I always say there's a guy on face or on TikTok. He always goes, I'm confusion. And I say that a lot. And then now it's, I'm a lot confused. That's funny. But anyway, um, yeah, Stephen King, like, where does he, very creative man. Where does he come up with stuff? I'm suspicious. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so the video ends with a car running over the cheating man and repairing itself afterward. <laughs> okay. Um, you uh, let's see. The murder appears in the song lyrics here. Two months ago, his wife called the number on his phone. Turns out he had been lying to both of them for oh so long. They decided then he'd never get away with doing this to them. Two black Cadillacs waiting for the right time. Right, right time. time. I don't even know the melody of that song, so I couldn't even. Like, I don't either. I remember the video because I was like, "What?" But um, yeah. So. Uh, number two is Better Dig 2, the band Perry. It came out in 2013. Okay, so 2013 was murder songs. Yeah, poppin'. the last one came out that year. Popping for yeah. murder. <laughs> <laughs> the trio of siblings had a significant hold on country music in 2013 when they released this song, their third number one. The trio got Best New Artist at the 2010 Grammy Awards. The song's lyrics are, well, it won't be whiskey, it won't be meth, it'll be your name on my last breath. If divorce or death ever do us part, do us part the coroner will call it a broken heart those are better lyrics mm. than the black Cadillacs. just saying yeah the, like i don't think songs have to rhyme but <laughs> i just wasn't maybe i need to go listen to the song but i'd rather not um i'm sorry i'm such a hater toward <laughs> no it's fine i don't like i don't like it either um so which one are we at here oh number three okay. is a number bop. three yeah, this is probably my favorite because mm-hmm. it shouldn't be so catchy. Mm-hmm. Like, we're talking about murdering somebody. It shouldn't be so catchy. So it's Goodbye Earl by The Chicks, um, 1999. Um, the 1999 video starred some Hollywood actors, including Dennis Franz as Earl, Jan Krakowski as Wanda, and Lauren Hawley as Mary Ann. The song mm-hmm. tells a story about Wanda, who had it had had it with Earl, so she and her pal Mary Ann decided to take matters to their own hands. The lyrics include, and it didn't take them long to decide that Earl had to die. Goodbye, mm-hmm. Earl. Those black-eyed peas, they tasted all right to me, Earl. You feeling weak? Why don't you lay down and sleep, Earl? Ain't it dark? Wrapped, wrapped up, up in, in that, that tarp, tarp. Earl. Hey, we just busted out everybody's eardrums with Earl. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey, 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 love it. All right, Taylan. Um, number four is Papa Love Mama. When I got my iPod, my first iPod, this song was on there like immediately. I was obsessed with Papa Love Mama. Garth Brooks, it's 1991. Um, this top five song on the country charts was one of, one that Garth co-wrote and set at the time it came out. This song is just total fun at a chaotic pace. The murderous lyrics are in part, Well, it was bound to happen and one night it did. Papa came home and it was just us kids. He had a dozen roses and a bottle of wine. If he was looking to surprise us, he was doing fine. I heard him cry for mama up and down the hall, and then I heard a bottle break against the bedroom wall. That old diesel, diesel, that old diesel engine made an eerie sound when Papa fired it up and headed into town. Well, the picture in the paper showed the scene real well. Papa's rig was buried in the local motel. The desk clerk said he saw it all real clear. He never hit the brakes because he was shifting gears. 
Mm-hmm. Ooh. Shifty. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> and number five is one of the greatest that we've already mentioned, but we're going to go into more detail. The night the lights went out in Georgia, it was by Reba McIntyre in 1991. Um, as previously mentioned, this is one of me and Liz's favorite songs, uh, that Reba remade from the classic 1972 Vicki Lawrence hit. Reba said, Reber, can I talk for like two seconds? <laughs> Beaver. Um, <laughs> Reba. <laughs> um, <laughs> wait, this, this is like foreshadowing to one of our episodes that we have coming up. The guy <laughs> called her Miranda Lambert. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Reba and Miranda. (laughs) Um, uh, But Reba said it was one of her top five all. What? I cannot read. Reba said it was one. Go ahead. Reba said it's one of her top five all time favorite songs to sing. Say that five times fast. See me. No. No. (laughs) No. <laughs> the, the lyric story goes Well, they hung my brother before I could say the tracks he saw while on his way to Andy's house and back that night were mine. And his cheating wife had never left town. That's one body that'll never be found. You see, little sister don't miss when she aims her gun. Drop, mic drop there. Like that. I love that lyric. And just one more um, is the bonus, Delia's Gone by Johnny Cash, is another American ballad inspired by a real murder. Um, Delia's Gone by Johnny Cash, it was first released in 1962 and then again in 1994. Delia's Gone was likely a reference to the murder of 14-year-old Delia Green in Savannah, Georgia in 1900. Like many folk songs, Delia's Gone was a story song that had been told in pop culture for generations before it reached the man in black. I'm going to have to look up that story because I've never heard of, like, the murder of Delia Green, but... I haven't either. 14 years old? <clears throat> That's sad. Yeah. Um, so and. that was kind of the more lighthearted segment of today's episode. Now that we've <laughs> talked about some... Well, some of those uh, murder songs were based on real murders, but a lot of them were just fictional tales. Today, we're going to talk about not just people getting murdered, but a country music star that was the murderer. Yes. Not the murdy, the murderer. And it gets really gruesome, guys. We're just going to go ahead and preface that for the 500th time because it gets extremely graphic. So, um, and uh, I'll try not to cry this time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, I got queasy reading the notes. Yeah. I cried last time I tried to say this stuff out loud. So, all right, strap in, guys. Strap in. So, we said his name before, Spade Cooley. His real name is Donnell Clyde Cooley. He was born in 1910. You may be like, Spade, what? Well, he got the nickname Spade in his younger days after he drew three consecutive hands of spades. One was a straight flush during a hot poker streak. He was one quarter Cherokee and was a decent boxer and an incredible fiddler since he was a boy. Spade Cooley made his way from the Dust Bowl of Oklahoma to sunny California with his wife and son during the Great Depression. Spade showed up at the gates of Studio City in 1934 at Republic Pictures with his fiddle in his hand and six cents in his pockets. Cowboy movie star Roy Rogers. I remember Roy Rogers. 
He gave him a job playing with Roy's Sons of the Pioneers Western Singing Group and worked for three years in Roy's movies as a stand-in. Pretty crazy. Um, In 1942, he joined Jimmy Wakely's Western Swing Band, which was attracting thousands of dancers every Saturday night to the Venice Pier Ballroom. Spade gained his own following with his fancy fiddling and footwork. And every time we say this, we think of Chromio's song, Fancy Footwork. Footwork. Which I love that song. Fancy footwork. Work, work, work. Yeah. <clears throat> Fancy footwork. Anyway. When Wakely got a Hollywood movie contract in 1944, Cooley took over the band, turning it into the largest band in the country and released six consecutive top ten records, including the number one hit Shame on You. That led to his own music and variety television series, and the show went national, and it was a mainstay well into the 1950s. Spade Cooley was still married to his Oklahoma high school sweetheart in 1942 when he hired and then took up with a singer named Ella May Evans. Ella May was about 15 years younger. Spade took her as his second wife in 1945, and their daughter Melody was born the following year. Shortly before the baby's arrival, Ella May caught Spade with another woman. Because, guys, once a cheater, always a cheater, okay? Uh-huh. When she tried to pack her bags and leave, he threatened to kill her. She ran away to Texas, and he brought her back. This is when the beatings and insane jealousy thrived throughout their marriage. After the birth of Donnell Jr. in 1948 and into the late 1950s as a public Musical taste changed, and Spade Cooley's career cooled. So as he was losing the fame, the beatings got worse at home. And she put up with this for probably 10 years, which is insane. Crazy. The abuse got worse after Spade moved the family from their mansion on Ventura Boulevard into a large home on their isolated Water Wonderland Ranch, way out in the Mojave Desert in eastern Kern County. Water Wonderland Ranch reminds me of Neverland, Michael Jackson's Neverland. And I'll never understand why all these famous people have to have their own dang thing, their own little fun land. It makes no sense to me. I have no clue. Like, don't you have enough? I don't know. I'll never get it. Um, And speaking of that, in 1960... Um, In February, Spade Cooley was honored with a star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame, but by this time, his television series had been canceled, he'd fired his orchestra, and he was basically semi-retired. So, he devoted much of his time to planning Water Wonderland, which he envisioned as a 1,000-acre amusement park with swimming pools, boat racing, and a broadcast studio for a new television show. So, I'll never understand. All right. The following year, Ella May was in the hospital suffering from what was diagnosed as extreme strain. Ella May told her doctor more than once, more than once, that she was in fear of her husband. She wasn't listened to. Spade's certain that Sickening. She, I know. It is sickening. Um, Spade was certain that she was catting around and had accused her of affairs with men, women, and his former boss, Roy Rogers. I mean, I don't know, but I would I would venture to say that he's a delusional. Definitely delusional. And I don't know about you, Whitney, but I would like to say that if people are 
accusing you of something over and over and over and over again, it's probably likely that they are actually the ones doing that thing. Okay. I had a boyfriend once say that I was cheating over and over and over and over and over again. I was not. Turns out he was. It's a big red flag. Okay. They're trying to draw the attention away from them and putting the spotlight on somebody else. Right. So you don't projecting, look that way. Projecting guilt. It's like a, a, mag- a magic trick. They're like pointing you in one direction so they, they can do the illusion somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So from the hospital, LMA retained a female attorney to start divorce proceedings. She claimed her husband had beaten her and the abuse was increasing and feared he would kill her. So when he heard this, he retaliated by harassing and beating her even more. On Friday, March 17th, he he filed for divorce, everybody, in Bakersville, citing incompatibility and seeking custody of the kids, which makes me sick, Mm -hmm. especially as a mom. Like the audacity. Mm -hmm. Such a narcissist. He told reporters that LMA has moved out, and I'm heart sick, but there isn't a chance of reconciliation. Well, sadly, in reality, Ella May remained on the ranch, virtually a prisoner. Spade had pulled the inners out of the phone receiver so she couldn't call out. And on March 23rd, he administered a savage beating to Ella May and forced her to sign four different deeds, transferring all their property from joint ownership to him alone. The next day, he called Anita Eros, a violinist in his band. Spade told Anita he was getting divorced and asked her to marry him as soon as the divorce was final. Anita agreed, but she said that she thought he was joking. Well, Anita. Okay. He was not joking. And why would you agree anyway? (laughs) Wouldn't you be like, hey, buddy, you okay? Yeah. (sighs) You're literally still married and you're already trying to get me. Okay. Red flag. Yeah, so gross. She really dodged a bullet, honestly. In the days to follow, Spade Cooley forced Ella May to call friends and confess to having an affair. He made her say the same to their daughter, Melody, who was now 14, and he even forced her to sign a confession. Okay. This, um, everybody, is where it gets really disturbing, Okay. Sometime uh, got after, children listening. Yeah, if you got children <laughs> yeah, listening, definitely. please turn it over. Um, sometime mm-hmm. after 6 p.m. on April 3rd, 1961, Spade Cooley unleashed a savage attack on his estranged wife in their home. He knocked her to the floor in the living room and beat her in the bedroom, leaving blood splattered on the floor, walls, and his pants. He choked her, stomped her, yanked the hair out of her head, and with the handle of a broom violated her vaginally and anally. In the middle of the frenzy, 14-year-old Melody walked into the house and interrupted her dad. Come here, I want you to see your mother, he said, leading her through the dining room past the broken furniture, broken glass, and whiskey bottles to the bloody walls of the master bedroom. LMA was not there, so Spade walked into the bathroom, and it is reported that the following was said. Get up, LMA, she heard him demand. Melody is here. He dragged LMA's nude, bruised, and blood-covered body from the shower into the bedroom and slammed her head on the floor twice. 
He said, Melody, I'll give you three minutes to get her off the floor or I'll kill her if you don't get her up. Cooley went into the living room and began a countdown. One minute left. Half a minute left, he yelled. The the body remained limp. Time's up, Melody. Spade Cooley entered the room with a rifle in his hand. All right, Melody, you are going to watch me kill her. And with that, he kicked Ella May in the stomach and called her a slut. (sighs) He then knelt down by her body. We'll just see if you're dead, he said. He burned her nipples with a cigarette. After he was arrested, Spade Cooley had a pretty simple defense, claiming that Ella May had slipped in the shower. (sighs) It's so crazy. It's a pitiful excuse. I know. For a person. How does a slip do that? Like... Oh, the the slip burned her, her body. Nipples, yeah, burned right. her. Yeah. Okay. I just I hate him so much. When that <laughs> didn't work, he said he'd never meant to hurt her, but blacked out after she told him she was having sex with two other men. Psychiatrists found fifty four year old Spade Cooley legally sane to stand trial for the murder of thirty six year old Ella May Cooley, and even so, he pleaded in, innocent by reason of insanity. While awaiting trial, he suffered a heart attack and was hospitalized for several days. Well, he lived. He's fine. So the jury trial began in Bakersfield Bakersfield Superior Court on July 10th, 1961, and became, at the time, was the longest and most spectacular trial in Kern County history. People lined up for the 60-odd available seats in the courtroom. The testimony was vivid. One witness testified that Ella May told her she indeed had an affair with Spade's arch-rival Roy Rogers, and Roy's wife, Dale Evans, was forced to say that the claim was ridiculous. Anita Eros talked about Spade Cooley's marriage proposal, and in what was the most wrenching moment in the trial, Melody told the story of the day her mother died. When Spade's daughter took the stand on Thursday, July 27th, the former Hollywood king of Western Swing wept openly. Melody testified mm. that she arrived at the ranch to see her father drag her mother from the shower, slam her head on the floor, and burn her with cigarettes. By the end of her testimony, Melody was sobbing as well. When she stepped from the witness stand and paused at the defense table, they stared at each other and both began bawling. I cannot imagine being in that courtroom. No. It's all senseless. Like, it makes no sense. And that poor girl, Melody, is absolutely traumatized. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, why? It's just pure evil. (sighs) The court then took a recess. Spade was in a holding cell talking with defense investigator Leonard Winters when he became emotional again. He said, wasn't she beautiful? Wasn't she beautiful? When the cigarette fell from his mouth, Winters realized what was happening. Spade was having another heart attack. The private eye gave the defendant a heart pill and called for the jail physician. Spade was taken to County General Hospital, and after an electrocardiogram showed no heart damage, he was brought back to his cell. Spade Cooley took the stand in his defense. He testified he was struck or he had struck his wife after she admitted engaging in unnatural acts with two men and told him the details of a quote-unquote free love sex cult she was a part of. She said, 
well, he said, she said, there were to be 10 senior members and each was to recruit 10 more for a total of 100 people. Yes, ma'am. How is she part of a sex cult if she's out on a farm in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, being held captive? I don't know. Yeah, okay. Like, the things this man has come up with for his defense, like, I just, I don't know, man. The Lulu. Yeah. On the stand, he said, rockets were going off in my head. It was on fire. To express how angry he was when she told him. Spade admitted giving LMA a slap, saying, quote unquote, I don't think I would hit her with my fist. After which he claimed they sat on the bed and she said, quote unquote, Donnell, you think I don't love you? Snatched a cigarette from his hand and burned her own breasts. Okay, now let me tell you one thing. (laughs) How do I say this? Women's bodies are sensitive, okay? We're not going to put ourselves through that kind of... Yeah, oh, I, don't, what an I don't know. Idiot. Maybe some women would, but it's just not making sense. It's not adding up. The math ain't mathin', okay? It just ain't. It wasn't like Ella May at all, Spade testified. It was though she was an animal. Mm-hmm. On August 19th, after six weeks and 19 hours and 14 minutes of deliberation, the jury of 10 men and two women announced a verdict. It was a Saturday afternoon, so most of the spectators who'd fought for seats in the courtroom each day of the trial weren't around. There were more television, radio, and newspaper reporters on hand than the public. Spade Cooley was found guilty of first-degree murder. He said he sat... Sorry, he sat almost impassively when he heard the verdict read by a clerk, and at first he seemed to stare blankly at the jury. George C. Flowers from the Long Beach Independent Press Telegram reported, Then his face seemed to dissolve into the handkerchief of his hand, and it was obvious that he was crying, albeit quietly. Sentencing took place on Tuesday. Spade's attorney withdrew the insanity defense and spared the state two more trials on whether Spade was sane at the time of the killing and what the sentence could be. The maximum penalty could have been death in San Quentin's gas chamber. Judge William L. Bradshaw sentenced Spade Cooley to life in prison. Quote, we have a somewhat sketchy story of him, the judge said while passing sentence. He has been a source of pleasure for a segment of people so we can't say he has been antisocial. There was nothing in his life to indicate he would not be amendable to rehabilitation. <clears throat> okay. I have no words. I have no words. <sighs> Spade Cooley was transferred from the Kern County Jail to the state's penal processing system in Chino. Doctors there examined him and determined he was subject to extreme mood changes and periods of depression, which was enough to have him classified as mentally disturbed after all, and unfit for a suitably country music style term in a prison like San Quentin or Folsom. So, good for you, Spade, I guess. He was sent to the California Medical Facility, a state mental hospital, and instead of a cell, he had a private room, and his treatment included carving violins in the Vacaville Hospital machine shop and teaching in the music department. He was just on a little vacay, basically. A little retreat. 
Right. He remained in the Vacaville Hospital, never having to see the inside of a prison. Due to his past heart troubles, he lived under a restricted health regimen and was spared normal prisoner duties. Pissing me off. He played music and wrote the song Cold Gray Bars, which became a hit for Ned Miller. Never heard of you, Ned, but... Thanks for giving a cut to our murderer. Yeah, right? On August 5th, 1968, the California State Adult Authority voted unanimously to parole Spade Cooley from the California Medical Facility on February 22nd, 1970. By then, he would have served nearly nine years. Only nine. Instead of life, just nine. Make me go cross-eyed. In November 1969, Spade received a 72-hour furlough from the hospital to perform... I'm pissed. To perform in a benefit concert for the Deputy Sheriff's Association of Alameda County in the Oakland Auditorium. He's Mm. getting the star treatment. Like, so basically they're going to use his star quality to benefit them. So in the end, he's not going to get any kind of repercussions for what he did. Correct. Oh, and it gets worse, Whitney. It gets worse. He took the stage for the Grand Ole Opry Spectacular on Sunday afternoon, November 29th. He was reportedly nervous as he walked on stage for his first performance in nine years. He thanked the deputies for, quote, the chance to be free for a while, and he played his fiddle. The audience of 2,800 lawmen and officials cheered him throughout. It was like the glory days. And when he was done, he took a bow after bow. He walked off stage to a standing ovation. At intermission, the applause still ringing, Cooley stepped backstage. He was out of breath. He told an attorney named David Lucisi he was suffering chest pains and signed a few autographs. He told some friends that he felt, quote-unquote, today is the first day of the rest of my life. He then dropped his fiddle and dropped dead of a heart attack. Spade Cooley was 58, three months away from real freedom. So that's Spade. There's so many questions in my head as I go through this, but one of the main... Do you think it's possible for someone who has no ounce of insanity to do this. I think you have to be at some level of insanity to do this. And that's what makes it hard because if it's an insanity plea, then you're going to get off better. But I just don't, I don't know. I don't see somebody in their right mind doing that. I mean, there are evil, evil people that exist. Well, that's true. Yeah. I think there are people that absolutely know what they're doing when they kill somebody. Yeah. Have you listened to the, um, have you ever heard, what is her name? Sherry Papini. Mm-mm. You ever heard of that story? There's no murder involved in that story, but it was basically she was a housewife, and she she said she she went for a run, and her husband came home, and the kids weren't home from daycare, and she, she went she usually went for a run down to this certain like mailbox on their street, and then came back. Well, he went and investigated, and her phone and her headphones were laying in the grass, and she was like, she messed up her. Like, she left her kids at daycare, didn't care about them. They were there all day long. Her husband was looking at her for, like, either days or weeks. I'm not really sure on that. Turns out she set up this whole thing with her ex-boyfriend. And it's just, like, there... Sounds like Gone Girl. Yeah, basically. 
there's just some crazy people in this world. And it's like, is it insanity or is it just selfishness? I guess. That's what I'm trying mm. to say. Both? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Because who in their right mind mm. could leave their children? To... Oh. <laughs> yeah. Nobody that I know. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the things, this is getting so off topic, but some of the things I hear that moms do, I will never understand. Ever. Mm-hmm. Like women just walking out on their kids. Mm-mm. Yeah. Billy may I, drag uh, me up the wall, but I ain't leaving her butt. <laughs> right. I heard the most horrific story the other day of this This woman had, um, her daughter was handicapped, and she was so sick and tired of taking care of her, and she was so obsessed with wanting to go out with her new boyfriend and go to bars and party. She left this young girl in the car for like six hours in the heat, and it's just sickening. Like, and then she tried to act, she kept saying, I turned the car on, I turned the car on. Well, in the, in the court case, they figured out, like, they had a specialist come in with a certain car. And if it would have, because the, um, the, it was like a key ignition turn on thing. Mm-hmm. If that would have happened, the lights would have flicked on and off when it does that. And they never did. Because there was like, ring, ca- ring door cameras are like saving the day as far as crimes. Yeah. Lately. Facts. Facts. Um, so they were able to prove that no, she didn't turn that car on. She oh just put. Cow. Yeah, it was horrid, horrid. But like, how can people do that? That's not insanity. That is being an evil, horrible person. Yeah, and she was a teacher. She was like she had she had gotten teacher of the year like four years in a row. And then she did this because she, I guess she just was like having, I don't know if you can even say it to this, but I feel like she was having like a midlife crisis. Her husband had left her. She had met this man. He was wild and he rode motorcycles and he was like a recovering addict. She claims she never did drugs, but I don't know. I feel like probably because life turned upside down. (sighs) That's awful. Yeah. This was a hard episode. (laughs) Welcome back to season two. Holy cow. I know. I was just thinking like, this is our darkest episode yet. Definitely the darkest of the whole season. Yeah. And. But it's, you know, it's like. (laughs) Sorry. It's like, where do we, yeah, where do we go from here? How do we, how do we even end this episode? But. How do we end it? I I, I don't know. I think it's really heavy. Yeah. In the beginning of starting this podcast we wanted to share it all and not leave anything off the table mm-hmm. and this is a part of country music history yeah and unfortunately. i think it i think even i think it goes back to people's obsession with true crime even though there's like really g- gruesome details it's kind of we're all curious about these stories i think and it's isn't like it the human crazy condition. like isn't it so wild that this happened so long ago Yet the same crazy, the same craziness is going on today. Yeah. Like with the Murdaugh trials, that Chris Watson guy, whatever his name is. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Chris Watts. Watts. Thank you. He 
which it's not all about looks, but I'll say this. He got married to Shanann. That was his mm-hmm. wife's name. And, I mean, he wasn't horrible looking, but he just was like your average Joe. Mm-hmm. And then he started working out, and he got the um, he got the attention of this younger woman who had no strings attached. And it's just so sickening. And first of all, it's embarrassed. Like, I'm in second, I have secondhand embarrassment. Like, you think you're so cute, and now you're going to murder your kids? It's the kids for me. It's like okay, knowing, crazy. it's knowing what he did to those children that he has openly admitted to and like in a letter and everything that like, <laughs> excuse me, he killed them. Well, he suffocated them. Then one of them woke up in the car. So he pulled over mm-hmm. and he killed her again. Like that yeah. is intentional. Okay. To, yeah, I mean, that's not insanity. That's evil. Yeah. Because you want to get your rocks off with some young girl. That is just, like awful. Don't hurt the kids. Okay. I have you ever, um, the Hufflepuff yeah, in me will yeah. kill you. <laughs> There's two things I want to say here. Um, I'll first say she's kind of linked to country music, but have you ever heard Taylor Swift's song? No body, no crime. I have not heard. I've heard of the song. Maybe if you played it, I would know the song, but. I'm going to read some of the lyrics because it is so reminiscent of the Chris Watts case. Okay. Um, Somebody told me once that Nobody, No Crime by Taylor Swift. Oh, it was my friend Mayor Lauterbach. She said, it's such a Whitney Merritt song. She says it sounds like I could write it. And I was like, (laughs) thank you. That's like, thanks. Okay. So it's saying. Esty's been losing sleep. Her husband's acting different, and it smells like infidelity. She says, that ain't my Merlot on his breath. That ain't my jewelry on our joint account. No, there ain't no doubt. I think I'm going to call him out. And it goes, I think he did it, but I just can't prove it. I think he did it, but I just can't prove it. No, nobody, no crime, but I ain't letting up until the day I die. Um, so basically, it's like, it's from the point of view of, of Esty. Esty, the the main girl in the story, her friend is talking about how she sees all all these changes, and then her friend goes missing, and then so Esty wasn't there Tuesday night at Olive Garden at her job or anywhere. He reports his missing wife, and I notice when I pass his house, his truck has some brand new tires, and his mistress moved in, sleeps in Esty's bed, and everything. No, there ain't no doubt somebody's got to catch him out. So like it is word for word. That story mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Because so her wild. friend noticed that like she the hadn't texted mistress her moved in. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. And then yeah. you talk about ring cameras coming in clutch. A ring camera came in clutch in that case. Oh, yeah. That's so wild. Oh, well. <sighs> what a dork. People need to I stop. I mean, not... Not to take us uh, serious, but he's just a dork to me. <sighs> yeah, and Anywho. like, where are you now, bro? Right? Did he die? No, he's in he's prison, and he probably in prison. he has okay. he has all these women that send him like love letters. And okay, stuff. stop. Women need to stop. Don't do that. <sighs> Don't do that. Desperate. Um. So we always want to keep this 
podcast lighthearted, but this episode had a lot of crazy stuff in it, and I want to take it serious. So I want to share the domestic violence hotline number in case you're experiencing something like this. Yes. Um, it is 1-800-799-7233. Um, I think a lot of times you think that it can't be you or you try to dismiss things, but um, there's could be red flags and... Um, I think it's better to get out of the situation if you have, you know, deep down in your heart, if it's a good or bad thing, I think. Yes. So. Thank you for sharing that, Whitney. You're welcome. We are women supporting women and even, you know, men, if you're in a domestic violence situation. Yep. It can happen. Time. All righty. Well, next week, mm-hmm. ne- we're at, we're doing every, we're doing every two weeks. So yeah, every other um, week. Next. Yes. Next episode, we'll be discussing something. <laughs> Much Not, lighter. Yeah. <laughs> very different. Very different. And we have a very special guest um, named yeah. Ryan Crowder. And he's got a very yeah. special virtual reality project. So it's, yeah, we're going to be talking about something on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. Um, it's going to be fun. So yes. uh, can't wait to see y'all. And it's been good to get back on the mic and blab this mouth. So thank y'all. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye. Thank y'all for listening to Spillin' the Tea. Whitney Merritt and Liz Ent are co-hosts and co-producers. The show is edited by Jeff Ent. Our theme song is sung by Whitney Merritt. You can follow us on Instagram at Spillin' the Tea underscore podcast, Facebook at Spillin' the Tea, and TikTok at Spillin' the Tea Nash for all updates and additional podcast materials. We want to hear from you, so be sure to send your comments, leave reviews, give us your readings, and share us with a friend. And most importantly, y'all come back now, you hear? Hear?